I think for me, longevity is about planning. You need to start with a plan. And if you plan, you are less likely to fail because you know what is expected, what you expect of yourself in order to have a long and healthy life. Welcome to Longevity by Design, a podcast designed to give individuals access to the leading scientific information in the field of longevity. The ability to add years to your life and life to your years needs no opinion. Join us as we ask science to take the wheel. In each episode, Dr. Gil Blander joins a co-host and an industry expert in the field of longevity, shining a light and getting the answers to the key question, how can we live a longer, healthier life? Hello, I'm Ashley Reaver, and I'm joined by Dr. Gil Blander. Welcome to Longevity by Design, How to Live a Longer, Healthier Life. We're produced by Inside Tracker, your science-based guide to optimizing your body from the inside out. Our guest today is Dr. Mariette Abrahams. Mariette Abrahams has a PhD in personalized nutrition and MBA and is a registered dietitian, as well as the founder of the company Kina, a hub for insights on personalized nutrition. Dr. Abrahams aims to bridge the gap between academia, research, industry, and frontline health professionals. She develops personalized nutrition products, services, and platforms that are evidence-based, representative, equitable, and ethical for individuals to take charge of their health. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very honored. So Mariette, it's a, it's a big pleasure to have you with us today. And uh, we have a, a history of interaction in a lot of uh, conference uh, around the personal nutrition. And uh, I always admire your uh, knowledge and the uh, connection and understanding of uh, personal nutrition. Uh, but maybe uh, let's start from the beginning. And you have a very interesting uh, academic uh, background. Uh, you have a, a MBA, RD, PhD. So what is inspired you to spend so much time uh, in learning and uh, becoming an RD, PhD, and uh, MBA? Yeah, I, th I think it's very interesting because I'm always a lifelong learner. So I'm never happy with what I know. And I always think, you know, there should be something new. There's, there should be like a new way of doing things or a new way of seeing things. So I guess my initial interest was always in kind of health and nutrition. And it's not by any means influenced by my family. My family was not, you know, health conscious or health fanatics or, you know, self-quantified or anything like that. But I guess I always knew that I was, you know, very sporty. I loved the way that I felt when I was healthy and what I was eating. And I, I made that connection very early on. And so when I was finishing high school, you know, I didn't really know what to do. And the career counselor said, well, you're always like so healthy and you're always so interested in nutrition. There's this course called dietetics and I'd never heard of it before. And so I did it. And, and then even then, so this was in South Africa. I believe that, you know, I then had the skills and the knowledge to then apply it in practice. But of course, it was very much focused on clinical nutrition, medical nutrition. And so I ended up working in the clinical field, specializing uh, in more nutrition support, worked in, in, in the NHS in, in London for many years, well, many, it's like eight years. But I was, I was, I was a bit, I was a bit unhappy. I was a bit unhappy about the status quo. And I knew when I started in the hospital, you know, this, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I need to do something else. But I wasn't 
passionate about any one particular area that I thought, right, I'm going to specialize, do PhD. And I thought, no, I need to diversify. And that's when I started in clinical, I, I automatically, I, th I think it was a year after I started an MBA. And I thought, I need something to diversify my skill set, the way of seeing the world, something that I can add on top of my clinical skills. And so I did that. And then it it just naturally led me to a, a, a role in, 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 in industry, in medical and scientific affairs for a specialized medical nutrition product. And that gave me insight into industry. And then this whole area of technology opened up. And, and that was kind of the bulb for me, kind of, we spend so much time working on sickness and helping people with products to manage their disease. What if we just use technology to enable people and educate people and inform people much earlier on in terms of prevention? And that's where the switch really happened. And I thought this this is and, and then and then it was, oh, oh, it's called personalized nutrition, or it's called tech-enabled personalized nutrition. And that's where it started. And so that was around 2012. So as you know. At that time, there wasn't really much happening in personalized nutrition. And I thought, you know what? This is going to take some time. I need to bide my time <laughs> before this industry sort of kicks off. And so although I say my PhD was in personalized nutrition, it was really around combining how do we get the science and this new technology and empower the frontline healthcare practitioners to integrate these new, new technologies and open up this new way of thinking and, and focus on prevention and leveraging what we have and what's coming in this new era. And that's really, so it was a mixture between psychology and business and, and healthcare practitioners. So it, so I, I, I did my own pieces. Yeah. I devised my own pieces. It wasn't given to me. And so that's, so that rebel in me is always the one that drives me to doing new things in a new way and learning new knowledge. And so there's so much more to come, but that's, that's what got me here. Interesting. And uh, on top of the uh, interesting background, uh, academic wise, you also, if you're looking uh, geographical wise, you are also uh, have been uh, uh, traveling around and uh, coming from different uh, uh, continent and different countries. Can you a bit discuss the, the past of the, ge the geographical yes. past of your life? Yeah, that, that's an interesting one. And I, I don't actually remember telling you this, but when I was born in the 70s, I was an apartheid baby. So my father was, uh, you know, an activist and he was one of the people who together with, you know, Alan Busak, Desmond Tutu, all these leaders, Mandela, all these leaders were against uh, apartheid. And so it was a time when I was four years old where the where basically he was told you need to leave the country or your family's at risk and so that's basically what happened so we left at that time the european government sponsored you know education and and we were basically refugees so so you can imagine that from four you know i was i was not really in south africa or a south african and so that meant my whole childhood was spent in europe and then by the age of 12 my dad finished his phd and so we went back to South Africa and because it was still segregated then, I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is <laughs> what is the segregated schools? And I couldn't continue with gymnastics. I couldn't continue with music. I, you know, we had to live outside. It was such a huge change. And I said, 
as soon as I finish studying, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I'm leaving. Or I'm, you know, and so, and that's what I did. So I always had this nomad, you know, vibe in me that I'm, I'm happy wherever and my home is wherever I am happy. And right now it's, it's in Portugal. Cool. That's, that's very interesting. And uh, going back uh, a bit back, uh, so uh, when you uh, finished school, you worked at the NHS in the, the UK and also at Nestle. So yeah. can you describe what have you done there? Yeah, so in the, in, the, in the ward, in the NHS, I was specializing in gastroenterology. So my pure focus was on Crohn's disease. I was fascinated by Crohn's disease. And at that time, that is what really sparked that nutrigenetic aspect, because at that time, it just came out that what is this, what is this thing? Is it genetics that some people flare up more than others? Is it that, you know, the environmental component of people who move to the UK, you know, third generation, they flare up more than those? How, why do some people respond to a liquid diet that we were given at that time for six weeks and other people just didn't and we needed to change, you know? So all these different, you know, aspects of Crohn's disease was fascinating to me. So it was really around gastroenterology and intensive care, nutrition support in, in ICU. And I was in charge of the nutrition team. So that meant that right from the beginning, we always worked as a multidisciplinary team. So whether it was with the surgeons, with the gastroenterologist, you know, with a biochemical pathologist. And so we had a real I always had a real good understanding of, you know, nobody can know it all and nobody can achieve success on their own. You need, if you were going to help a person, you need to take the person first and then understand how can the team help. So that was fascinating. And then I moved to Nestle, which was really around... Um, so the product that we used in the hospital was Modulin. And so when I went to Nestle, that was what I was responsible for, for Modulin Peptamin. So it was a natural move for me into that role. And so that was really educating, you know, was consultants in the hospital, was it specialist dietitians, was it, you know, specialist nurses, for example, about, you know, the, the, the existence of the product, but also how to integrate it into practice, not only as in here's the product, but here is a program to use, you know, a liquid diet as part of a treatment option for people who wanted it because it was used very much in pediatrics, but it wasn't so much used in, in the adult care. So it was really about, yeah, it was about education, but it was also about working with the team in Lausanne, you know, for new product development and kind of because at that stage, the, the use of liquid diets in, in Crohn's disease was way advanced in the UK in comparison to other countries around the world. So we were very much the kind of, you know, focal point, I would say, or the teaching point. And that's what was my responsibility. When you say peptamin, I'm getting flashbacks to my dietetic internship. I never okay. worked in clinical. I knew that that wasn't my my path. Fortunately, I came to Inside Tracker pretty early in my career. But that was funny. I right. haven't thought of peptamin in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say it's 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 interesting because I think in dietetics, you learn so much. And then when you get to the actual real world, you know, things change and you realize that actually it, while it, while you should do things on paper, it's not what happens in practice because there's so many other factors that go, you, I, I, I didn't have to really talk to a surgeon. You know, I didn't really have to uh, think about contracts in a hospital. I didn't have to think about so many things, but when you get into the real life, 
things change. And this is probably why, you know, my dream was to become a clinical dietitian. And then when I got there, I was like, year one, mm-mm. No, no, no. I'm. I need to. I need to work on my exit strategy. <laughs> but I still love it because I wouldn't have also had the knowledge and insights that I have now if I didn't have that those eight years in clinical practice. Because it helps you to understand not only the system but also how people, whether it's patients or consumers, behave and think about you know from prevention all the way to now that I'm lying in hospital. What could I have done differently? Or how can I prepare and inform my family to do stuff differently? And so it has given me, I feel, a very, very well-rounded experience. And you also have some public health experience. Can you tell us about your work um, in that area of dietetics? Well, I, I wouldn't say public health as such. I would say right now it would be more around how can we work and collaborate with industry as and bring in the healthcare professionals in a different way in terms of public health? It's not so much, you know, uh, public health messaging, uh, I would say, but I think we are in a new age and a new stage of how public health is delivered and should be delivered and how we are in a different era with, in terms of technology that we can use these tools now to bring about public health changes. And that's where, but public health per se, I haven't been involved. I've gone straight clinical to industry and now consulting, I would say, for the last for the last 10 years. Okay, let's see. And also I think it's interesting to get your perspective on the food systems all over the world since you've been participating yeah. in, in some way, food systems from a lot of different areas. Yeah. That shifted tremendously yeah. over the past hundred years from, you know, just a focus on feeding the population to now trying to look at food quality. What do you think has contributed yeah. to this shift? Yeah, I think I think people or consumers have now, you know, realized and I think the COVID pandemic has really sparked a change in people in that you know, food is more than just, you know, comfort and your happiness and your family and your culture. It's it's actually such a pivotal role in your actual health. And we didn't really have that before. And I think now people have made the connection, but whatever I eat actually impacts my health and my mood and my gut and my immune system. And, and so all of a sudden, people are paying much more attention to what they are putting into their bodies, what they are buying, how they are cooking things. And so that's influenced what people are buying. Yeah. So people are, are spending time in the aisles or spending time comparing, you know, ingredient lists and what the family is cooking or what, what my friends are buying as well. And so that has really caused a shift, not only in terms of what is in the food, but also where it's coming from. How, it, how it's made and how, what is the impact uh, of what I choose on the planet. And so that has really influenced, you know, I would say the interest and awareness in going more plant-based. We've seen a, all of a sudden a spike in people, you know, eating more fruit and veg during COVID. And now all of a sudden with food security, insecurity, uh, you know, with the food inflation, it's the first thing that's going again. So we can see that whatever is happening around the globe is influencing how we personalize our own diets, you know, on a day-to-day -day level. And so whether that then influences how we think about how it impacts our health 
is, is then another level because we choose the foods that we can afford, but then we also want to choose the foods that have a direct impact on our health. And then we choose the foods that we know will impact us in the long term as well so we can prevent disease and prevent, you know, complications or prevent symptoms. So I think that's another thing that has shifted in me in because I was very much in medical nutrition, yeah, uh, so take the stanols, you know, eat the, eat the legumes, you know, reduce saturated fat. But now I think about it differently. Now I think about how does that translate? We used to give lists of foods to buy in the shop, you know, when people come into clinic. It's not practical. I'm thinking, why did we do that? It doesn't work because people don't eat a list. You know, people don't eat ingredients. People want to know how can I make this practical? How can I influence this in terms of a meal that my children will actually not cry about, you know, when I serve it at dinner time? So it's now, I think we are now at a stage where there's this gradual shift in terms of, okay, I all of a sudden became aware and now all of a sudden made major shifts. And now actually now I need to now come to a level to the middle ground. What is going to work for me? What can I sustain in the long term to, to work for the planet and work for my health as well. And that's what's currently influencing the food systems to, to force them from uh, consumer-driven, you know, for it to be healthier and, and, and definitely more personalized. So, Ma Maria, you... before we'll go, Maria, before we'll go to personalized nutrition, uh, I heard you talking numerous times and uh, I've seen the, your passion for helping the underserved, under... Yes. Uh, a, a subpopulation that they have some issues, uh, yeah. uh, people in color and uh, also uh, uh, women versus males and so on. Can you describe it a bit and uh, how, uh, what are the, the gap and uh, why uh, uh, the food is uh, mainly uh, designed and prepared for uh, white males and how can yeah. we change it? Yes, yes, yes. And I, I think it's 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 a it's a topic yes that I'm very passionate about because I see that things are not really improving at the rate that we would like to see it improve and it's historically it, it it's not a it's not a new thing we've known this for a long time but now we have the research and the data to back it up <laughs> and, and and that's where it comes in so people are more informed now so the problem that we are having is we are now starting to, I guess, recommend, you know, specific foods or specific functional foods, but we don't have, a, and that's as a blanket, to improve X or to improve Y. Whereas we don't really have the research to back up that this works in a minority population or specific racial groups because they just haven't been included in the studies in the first place. And that goes for food or it goes for medication. And so unless we include and have representative groups from the foods that they are actually eating, we can't even start to, to build algorithms to, to give a personalized recommendations. That's the one thing. The other thing is that we've always come from a point of, well, let us tell you what is healthy based on what we think is healthy because ethnic foods are not healthy or the way you prepare foods are not healthy, or the way your cultural you know, cuisine is, is not healthy. And so unless we change that perception of what are you eating, what is available in your, you know, in your environment, what are the social determinants that determine, you know, that influence how you choose foods, 
we're not going to ever get to this this point where we are really making it more accessible and making you know personalized nutrition more available and so there is already this 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 mistrust in in science this mistrust in research and so unless we have our own researchers research the issues that are really pertinent to our health you know the, whether it's cancer whether it's the, the increased risk of diabetes whether it's the increased risk of kidney disease whether it's the higher rates of you know cancer for example these are things that are pertinent but unless we understand what are the cultural roots of how we choose foods what are the um you know implications of how foods are prepared and how we can start with where these groups are at then we can change and so i fundamentally feel that if we're going to change the system if we're going to make uh solutions that really impact the people that needed the most we need to start where the people are and that starts with research that starts with doing research that is relevant to the groups that needed the most but also not doing research in the centers that you know come to us and then we will tell you what you should be doing no it needs to be out where the people are using and leveraging technologies that are currently being used so that we can get the data that is representative and then we can start involving more and more you know educators you know policy academia more frontline healthcare practitioners to really make it more accessible and and affordable um and equitable with using the science that they can trust because at the moment it's just not it's incredibly interesting and i think incredibly important to broaden the conversation as well of who at who has access okay. to personalized nutrition right now it's a very small group of people yeah yeah and i mean i think was just this week last week the fda is we've written guidelines now or, or draft guidelines just to in, increase the the diversity because yes there is a there is a group that's included but it could be 5% you know of the total study group or it could be 3% so yes we did it but it's it's not really representative of that you know so so we let's be honest this this is where it's at and so we need we need the regulators to step in and we need to say you know let put a quota on it you know put a number put the, put the regulation in it put put some oomph behind it because otherwise like you know i don't want to say black lives matter we just see this this black washing of photographs everybody is putting like you know black girls black people i mean that's not what it's about if you are, are are truly standing behind inclusion and diversity you need to put your money where your where where it really counts and that means in research giving the money to the people who need it who want to research and and really make an impact and that's that's how we're going to affect change Absolutely. Well, and I'd love to continue that conversation of what your definition of personalized nutrition is because it sounds like it's probably a bit more expansive than we've talked about, you know, even on the podcast so far. So, can you explain kind of the basis behind it, how you yeah. define it, why it is really truly personal? Yes, yes, yes. And I think this is a even in personalized nutrition, I think you know, there is a slight there's a slight difference in terms of how we define it. For me, as somebody who's trained in nutrition and dietetics, for me it's quite quite personal. So for me it's about how do you provide 
actionable advice that is relevant to the individual that has uh, an outcome. But that outcome can be a health outcome, but it can also be a behavioral outcome. And so the, to me, the personalization can be anything from you know, prevention, providing that personalized advice from prevention, how you can pre prevent you know, a disease or, or, or improve your health, all the way to medical nutrition where you already have the condition and now we need the, you know, the specialized products to help you to, you know, improve the, 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 the condition or reduce the symptoms or improve your biomarkers. And so for me, personalized nutrition is on a wide spectrum. It can be based all the way from taste to lifestyle, uh, you know, to, to cultural, to religious all the way up to the omics, but it needs to be relevant to the individual and it needs to be actionable by the individual. Yeah. So it's not just about, again, giving the list, but does that person, did you meet, did you provide the information and the advice that is relevant to that person so that they are enabled now and empowered to make those changes? And that's what it's about. So Maria, there, there are a lot of uh, products currently in the market that uh, using personalized nutrition, starting from questionnaire to uh, looking at uh, uh, microbiome, uh, uh, blood biomarker, and so on. So in, in your opinion, what is the, the right mix and uh, uh, what is, uh, 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 where are we today and what is yeah. your opinion about the personalized nutrition and the inputs that uh, uh, basically uh, help uh, uh, the algorithm or the person to make the decision? Yeah, yeah. And I think this is very important, Jill, because I think some people think, well, you need to automatically have like, you know, you need to have a microbiome test or you need to have a blood test. And I, I don't I don't think that's the case, because I think where people are, the majority of people just want to know what little thing can I do today to to at least feel that I'm working towards a healthier life. Does that mean I just learn how to increase my fiber intake? Yeah, with what I'm already doing. What what can I do practically? You know, does it mean I need to eat, you know, two apples a day? Can can I just do that, you know, and 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 keep that up? I think that's already personalization. So there's a group, and I think this is the majority of people, want to improve their lifestyle. They just want to eat healthier. They're not necessarily worried if you know their diversity, their microbiome diversity has improved by 30 points. They're not interested. All they want to know is what can I do today? And in a, that, that's not going to require a lot of behavior change and impact my life too much, just so I know that I'm doing something for myself today. That's where I think the majority of people are right now. Um, and I think in terms of what we have in terms of solutions at the moment is we see a lot of or rapid growth in these solutions that help people shop better, that guide them towards healthier options in the store. And I think that's great. And I already think that's personalization. Yeah, I think the people that have higher levels of health literacy, food literacy, awareness of the impact of you know, food and food composition, nutritional analysis, they would be at the level where maybe we have the, the blood biomarkers. Yeah, So they, they can relatively know, OK, this is what I need to check for and see what impact that has. Yeah, And I think with that, we see a lot of people now being way more interested because it really comes driven from them because they want to know their vitamin D level, but the doctor doesn't want to check the vitamin D because why? You know, I'm not getting it's reimbursed. Too expensive. For that. It's too expensive. <laughs> exactly. That's why. So they don't want to do it. So people say, yeah. well, actually, I know that it's important.
important. I've read that it's important. I continuously see that it's important. So now I want to know what it is. So that's where personalization is. So I think there is, you know, there's a gap. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's solutions for people who want to know that. And I think that's great as well. But I think we also need to be very careful in terms of what is, what is medical nutrition and, and, and what is really wellness and informational. Vitamin D to me is, is informational. Yeah. Where are you at that level? That's great. Whatever. When we get to things like cholesterol or liver function tests, then I get a bit nervous. And that comes from my, my clinical background. It's like, I don't really think you should have that without any healthcare professional interpreting that for you, explaining that for you. You just, just should just, it should just be freely available. I, I don't, I, that I, and so I do think there's a level where maybe the regulation or there should be a bit more control in terms of, yes, wellness, is good but when it gets more complicated and there actually needs to be more contextual information about your family history or, or how you interpret that then you need then you need a healthcare professional and i don't think dr google can do that for you and and so 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 there is a distinction with that and we we definitely need to have better better control or or, or, or needs to be better controlled and then i think at the high level there are I think there's a lot of controversy around microbiome tests as well. You know, people say it's too early. I do, I do agree that we can't give very specific information about, you know, how much, you know, lycopene you should be having, how much vitamin C based on your microbiome test. But I don't actually think for people who are interested is saying, did my microbiome diversity improve? You know, I've now slept better. I've now exercised more. I've now improved my diet. What did it have any impact? I think data can be powerful for those who, you know, want to see if they're on the right track, not to give a detailed magic bullet, but to see, hey, did it make a difference? Because how else would I know? And so I think there is a, a, a level of, you know, difference in terms of the offerings we have right now, but, but company, and, and we have a different level of, transparency in the industry that is for sure so not everybody's transparent about what science they base it on you know where, what is the state of the science you know providing those scientific uh, papers and things so so i think there's a lot of work still to be done but i think i think it's exciting that we have the option so where we are so where i think where we were is people just wanted a test and a report and then they realized Actually, I don't understand what's in this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we got to the stage where, hey, uh, it needs to be actionable and I need to change my behavior. If I can have all the data that I want, but if I'm not willing to change my behavior, not data is not going to mean anything and tracking is not going to mean anything. So now we have this, this wave of, or the last few years of, unless behavioral change is incorporated into the solution, it's not going to go anywhere. And I think where we are going now is, well, it's about prediction. Yeah, it's about, well, we know now this is happening or we know we can see that this is happening. How can we prevent you from going down the wrong path? How can we nudge you towards the right direction? How can we non-invasively track these biomarkers or get this data that we can then inform you at the right time what, what you need to do in order to prevent X, Y, and Z? And that's where we are heading. But right now, I think we now have this awareness and there's a lot of work to be done in terms of behavior change because we don't know 
what behavior change works for whom <laughs> and which combination and in what format and how often and through whom because people have different levels in the in the health journey and so we need to perfect that and so i think we are at a stage where we have a lot of solutions we don't technically need more in the industry but we need to combine them in a better way so that we know this works better for that person and that inspires them to sustain it for a longer period of time because adherence is going to be the key outcome yeah i i think that you you well said it and actually yesterday ashley and uh, myself uh, had a session with an expert in uh, behavioral uh, change a professor ah, from okay. the academia and uh, we, we are uh, developing a new product and uh, uh, what he, he said was great he said uh, I, it's very hard for me to give you an advice because I'm dealing mainly with a population of sick people and your, uh, your clients are not sick people. They are healthy people and uh, I don't know if the tactic that I'm using for sick people will work for the healthy people. So I, I think that there is a lot to learn and uh, yes. to apply uh, uh, in order to give a, a, a good service for uh, healthy exactly. people. Yeah. And, uh, um, and yeah, and, and I think that... Uh, but anyway, it should be based on science. So I, I'm 100% agree with you that everything should be based on science. We have a very good uh, scientific community. Again, we have some holes there, so not everything is perfect, but they are yeah. doing a good job. And yeah. we need to apply the best science in order to Absolutely. allow us to, to provide the best personalized uh, nutrition. So yeah. thank you so much for being uh, one of the leaders in the personalized nutrition uh, domain. That's, uh, that, that's exciting. Well, I look up to you so much. <laughs> 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 no, it's an exciting, it's an exciting right, well, um, area to be in. <laughs> yeah, and let's switch to your business. So you are the founder of Kina. Can you tell us a bit more about the yep. company and what you are hoping to achieve with Kina? Yeah, um, Kina has been very fascinating, such an enriching experience, and basically. I'll tell you how it was how it was conceived, <laughs> because basically I came with my clinical experience, as, as you've heard, and then I came with my, my business experience. And then and then I was and I had my industry experience and I said, well, this personalized nutrition industry is really is up and coming. But for me, there's a gap. And the gap is, is that what I see is that in the in the industry there there are, are companies that are very good at the tech. And they're companies that are very good at the marketing. But what they didn't have was a very good understanding about what actually happens in the clinic. Like what, what guidelines do people use? You know, what, how do you, how do you translate the science into actionable information to the individual who's sitting in front of you? And so to me, it wasn't about, you know, a blogger or, you know, a, a, a guru or something. It was really about if we're going to help people, you know, get healthier, we should use the right language with the right science and feed that in because I feel like, you know, dietitians have this rich expertise and skills. I think one thing we are trained in very well is to be good listeners. And, and I think that is missing when you come from a, you know, from a very strong marketing background or very tech background, because the listening and the communication is key because somebody might be telling you something, but I'm, they mean something completely differently. And that is the, the key for dietitians to pick up and say, actually, you know, never mind that, you know, you are smoking or that you don't exercise. Actually, the fact that you, you know, you lost your mother a month ago. It's, it's the emotional part. That's what we need to focus on. It's the behavioral part. That, and so 
yeah, focus on the things that really matter to the individual and identifying the problems. And I felt that there was a gap in for, 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 for industry is to leverage those skills and tap into the mind of a dietitian. Now you see everywhere dietitian in your pocket, dietitian in your pocket, but, but, but that's essentially what, what they discovered. Yeah. So, so what we wanted to do is be that 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 external nutrition and dietetic department for companies and so in the beginning 10 years ago it was very much around providing domain expertise so you know the scientific expertise whether it's you know a specific disease focus or you know which providing the the literature for you know what what are those guidelines based on to building products and now 10 years on it's really shifted to providing strategic advice and market intelligence also because we've been in it so long so now for us to see the trends or to spot the gaps is actually quite quite natural it's it's quite easy but what we see now is that with technology there there are things that help to make it easy so we don't believe that the dietitian can be replaced but we do believe that the combination of the dietetic skills and and knowledge can be combined with the understanding of you know the technology and and then offer that as a service to companies so how we are doing it right now is we are providing the the the, the domain expertise as a consultancy service so that continues so we do that in terms of innovation projects for example helping companies to find partners in the industry helping to devise you know project project designs and so that is really exciting because 10 years ago people were very risky yeah so they're like no we we don't want to do any risky we don't want to risk reputation we don't we don't want to do anything and we don't want to waste money 10 years down the line now it's what can we do? Like, if we don't do something, somebody else is going to do it. Like, we need to try something. So we are completely different. And now, so now it's very exciting because we can devise these innovative projects without having this limitation and, and, and uh, you know, restrictions on them. And then on the other hand, we have just developed this. Uh, so on the one hand, we have this platform, which is a database of personalized nutrition companies within the industry that people can uh, use you know, at our advanced search filters to search for companies based on the segment that they're in, based on the business model that they have, based on the channels that they're selling into, based on the languages that they're offering, based on the pricing as well. But then we also offer the content so we can then write reports or write articles on personalized or topics within personalized nutrition that are, that are very important. And then we've also now just um, developed this text analytics solution because what we find is that People talk a lot about products, you know, food, health, what they are doing online all the time. And so maybe evidence-based is then limited, yeah, because what you are doing in a clinical trial is very much um, controlled by, you know, where they are or what they are doing and maybe what they are saying, <laughs> yeah. When they are online, they share everything. They unrestrained yeah so you can maybe so you can get an unfiltered view about what they really think and do and behave and compare that against what the science says so what we now do is we leverage uh, text analytics and use text mining and doing topic modeling for example and then and identifying what are the things that are people doing online doing and saying online 
and comparing that with the science and then putting our nutrition and dietetics hat on and explaining that in a way and say, okay, basically people are behaving in this way because they like X, Y, and Z features yeah, of this, maybe this particular product. And, and, and the reason why is the science has shown that in behavior change, you know, these features are good to change X behavior or to influence that behavior. And so we can leverage the technologies and combine that with dietetics to then offer a completely new service. So it's, a, and, and also um, innovate new products. So we are looking at it more from a food point of view in terms of you know, uh, developing new products as well or on how, how people are solving their problems. You know, what are people doing to deal with their, I don't know, with their, with their blood sugar levels or, or, or improving their, their, their heart. And so there are a lot of opportunities, but for Kina, where we want to be is being that hub of data and insights specifically for personalized nutrition. And I can add in there as well for, for innovation, but we only want to focus on nutrition because it's so wide and you can go so big <laughs> that you can't be the expert in everything. And that's, you know, what we realize now. We've definitely gone, I've gone from Crohn's disease, <laughs> you know, <laughs> love, to now being more higher level and understanding what is driving what, what is influencing what in terms of how people use food and nutrition to improve their health. And for that, we need to know a lot about regulation, a lot about, you know, social determinants, a lot about, you know, a country level data in terms of health literacy. So there's no way that one thing is going to solve um, all the jobs. And I don't know that we ever going to get to 100 percent personalization, not in my lifetime. I don't think so. But. With a learning mindset, we can always work towards it. And that's where I think as long as we empower people with where the science is and where it's at and how it's evolving and what we are learning to continuously develop new solutions, that will be that that would be the the, the drive for Kina. Yeah, and uh, to add to that, Mariette, um, so I'm using your newsletter, the weekly newsletter, yes. to get an update on uh, uh, personal nutrition, a weekly update. And uh, I, I'm pretty busy, so it's it's great for me that uh, you you're doing all the work and giving me the information. And uh, uh, it's not only on the industry; it's also on the science. So I'm uh, yes. receiving a lot of updates that uh, then I can distribute to my team and uh, let them read the paper. So I, I want to say that uh, at least for me, your uh, service is very valuable, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, very exciting that we have someone that uh, uh, doing the hard work for us. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, we love doing it too. And of course, what we found with the newsletter is that we forget where we wrote it. So that's why we've uploaded all our newsletters also into this text analytic solution. So we can quickly go back and say, what was that thing about food insecurity? What was that thing about, you know, so, so everything is coming together now into one big Kina engine, so to speak. So it makes it easier as well. And you're clearly so passionate about it. If I wasn't already a dietitian working in personalized nutrition, I think I would change my career. It's clear <laughs> how much you care about this. I, I do. Know, I do. Uh, you know a little more about the background behind the name of Kina, which you told us a little bit more before we started recording. Yeah. So Kina is a Zulu word, and that's also because I'm South African. I'm not Zulu, but uh, I'm South African. And Kina means be strong. Now. For any South Africans listening, they would be very upset with me because the proper pronunciation is Trina with a T sound in, in Zulu. But 
but I, we pronounce it as, as Kina because we know that's internationally probably easy to, to remember. But yeah, I wanted something really short and something that had meaning. Uh, and, 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 and that's how, how Kina came about. I did some research and, and that's how Kina came about. But yeah, lots Amazing. of people ask me, is it Quina? <laughs> oh, it's not Quina, it's Kina. <laughs> Uh, and something that you mentioned before that I think you know I want to loop back to is all of the different inputs that we need to be able to understand how to give someone the best personalized nutrition experience. A few of the things that you mentioned, yeah. you know, access to foods, social determinants of health, their situation in their government, perhaps other things happening in their life. How do you see that process of us being able to collect that on a population level to really be able to deliver that personalized nutrition? Yeah, I mean, I think we are at a stage now, and I would say, especially in the US, where there's a realization that personalization is the future. Yeah. And so they've pumped in a lot of money for it. So unless we get government involved and industry working together, it's going to be very difficult for one company to do it all. Because I think this mass domination of personalized nutrition is is not going to happen yeah it's, it's just not going to happen because people are motivated by different things and so that's why i think we need to have this big partnership in order to collect the right data and quality data to then make it accessible as well so that we can have different you know different strokes for different folks yeah? uh, and in different languages as well that is very important because you know it's it's the world is becoming more diverse and we can see at this time that, you know, economically, the, 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 the gap is widening. So unless we fix that now, you know, we're going to have a, a problem. So I do think that the public partnerships and, you know, people being also willing to share their data, you know, voluntarily, if they know where they where where it can be, where it can be submitted, and where it will be stored safely. I think in the future, people will have more control over their own data and who they share that with. But they the only way it's going to happen is if there's collaboration. Sure. Definitely important. And how do you think that, you know, speaking on kind of government entity levels, taking that, coupling that with your clinical background, you know, having experience in NHS, how can the healthcare system really even start to leverage a lot of personalized yeah. nutrition in order to take a much more yeah. preventative approach, at least how we see healthcare in the US. Are there any yes. existing barriers that you think are preventing healthcare from doing that today? Yes, money. <laughs> it comes down, <laughs> down to money. Because at this stage, in Europe anyway, you can see a dietitian maybe two times, maybe three times, in some cases more times, if you are sick. <laughs> If you already have something, yeah, then you can see a dietitian. And so if we are truly, truly passionate and serious about personalized nutrition, we need to flip it on its head and say, dietitian on tap from whenever you want it, you know, maybe from the, 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 the minute, you know, I would say start with the mothers, the minute you are pregnant or the, the uh, 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 start with that, start, start, start early. That is the, going to be the key. And so unless we make it easier for people to access quality information, because now we have nutrition experts galore, you know, and con consumers don't know what is credible or what is not credible. Yeah. They try to do more research, but it's very difficult for them to find 
who can they go to? They can search online, yes, but they still want to speak to an individual as well. And now we're at a stage where the healthcare professional dietitian is becoming more of a coach. And so it's not so prescriptive and come to me and I will tell you what to do. Yeah, it's now needs to be more of a of a team sport and saying, you know, when you want to know something, let me know when you want to have information and you're standing there or you're thinking about food or you want to make a decision. I'm here and that needs to be reimbursed. And unless that changes and we make it easy for people to access quality and credible science-based information, it's going to be hard. So we need to change that paradigm of, of sick first and then and then get advice. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's where I think. So it's regulators, it's it's government funding, it's reimbursement. And and then we need to change the 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 how we identify people. So we need to identify people early who are motivated to make those changes and identify ways to find the people who, who are not yet motivated, but probably don't understand yet that, that food has such a powerful impact on their health, you know, in the short term and all the way into the long term. And so they need, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but unless the governments put money behind prevention, it's going to be hard because people are not going to pay out of pocket. They're not going to pay a dietitian $150, $200 an hour, you know, yeah. to see them one off. It's just not going to happen. So we need to make it easier. Yeah. At least in the U.S. with the Affordable Care Act, most plans, if people don't know this, they do cover three preventative visits with a dietitian now. It depends on, you know, the level of plan that you get. But a lot of people do have access to that now and aren't aware of it either. Yeah. But on that note, yeah. how about food companies? Yeah. Do you feel as if food companies play a role in or can play a role in personalized nutrition? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I think if they don't, they will become irrelevant <laughs> because people choose with their wallets. Yeah. People, people are more savvy now. It's not about, you know, they are not influenced by marketing as much as they were in the past. They're not as influenced by, you know, pretty packaging as they were in the past. And so they want to see efficacy. They want to see cleaner labels. They want to see sources. They want to see traceability. There, there are a lot of things that, that has, forced food manufacturers and companies to change how they do things. The question is, or the magic question is, how do you change a big machine? <laughs> yeah. How do you change, you know, uh, companies that, that, that have such big manufacturing sites and things? So, so, so how we are seeing this right now is that personalized nutrition is a reality and there's an understanding that personalized nutrition is a reality. Whether you do that in small steps, whether you do that on a lifestyle level, yeah, it may, be not it may not have to be completely personalized, but at least are you putting in the healthier ingredients? Are, are, are your nutrient profiles better? You know, what are you doing in salt reduction? What are you doing in sugar? So all these things all filter in, and it comes back to Jill's question, all filters into, into personalized nutrition, whether it's just reducing your sugar intake on a daily basis to all the way, you know, knowing exactly how much protein I should be taking, you know, to prepare for my marathon. So we are there, but we are very early on, 
that's all I can say is that we are very early on in that process. And at the moment, what I can see is that smaller brands are winning out because they are closer to the consumer. And coming back to that, you know, understanding what people really do, what they say they want, you know, in a focus group or in a, or in a survey and what they really do. And so what the, these smaller brands are, are tapping into the data. They are seeing what people are clicking on. They are seeing what product codes, are, you know, barcodes are being scanned. They have an understanding of what people are interested in and then they formulated that whether it's based on taste or whether it's based on health goals or functional you know ingredient that's that's the way it's going so so mariette uh, this podcast the name is uh, um, longevity by design and uh, um, we definitely think that nutrition is very uh, interesting and very exciting and we yes. we believe that there is a lot of uh, interaction between the uh, uh, longevity and uh, nutrition, and I uh, will discuss it in a second. But we also, uh, if we think about longevity, there are two main uh, terms that we like to say. One of them is the lifespan. So basically, it's the time that you live from birth to death. Yeah. And the second is the health span. Basically, the time that you live from birth until you start to be sick. And uh, so my first question is about the health span is uh, what do you think is the role of personalized nutrition in uh, uh, improving health span? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's, it's the number one. <laughs> I think what we, what we eat, what we put into our mouths, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis has an influence on our health. And if we are healthy, then we will live longer and we will live a, a longer quality life. That's, I think, I, I don't think... Lots of people can argue with that. I think we have enough evidence to show that food has an impact. The problem is, is our environmental influence, our environmental impact. Yeah. So at the moment, you walk into the store and you are inundated with, with products. Yeah. And there it goes out the window. Women are working way more now than 60 years ago. And so your time is shorter your lifestyle is busier. And so your home cooking goes out the window, you know, and then you order in. And so I think that the message that a good nutrition, personalized nutrition that works for you, yeah, where, where, where not only you, you improve your health, but also gives you a quality of life is there. What we need to do a better job of is how can we communicate better the influence of our environment and help people with actionable tools to control or manage their environment? Because I think that is where the problem is. Life is hectic, life is busy, things get in the way, and then your eating habits are the first to go. You're upset, you're stressed, fridge, <laughs> cupboard, <Yeah. laughs> drawer. <laughs> and so I think I think that's that's where it comes in. But I think I think many people understand. I, I do think that many people understand that 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 food is a key to to good health and a long lifespan. Interesting. And uh, let's say uh, maybe it's a, it's a hard question, but anyway, I will ask you. So, okay. if uh, someone or a population will eat uh, in the right way, in the right uh, uh, exactly by the book of the personalized nutrition specific for them. Yeah. What, in your opinion, will be the effect on their health span and on their yeah. lifespan? Yeah, yeah. I think that's 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 an interesting one because I think people look at 
people look at their parents, right? <laughs> people go, well, my dad lived to, you know, 98 and, and, and he smoked. And actually, you know, that wasn't too bad. And so I think that is the first thing that people connect to is how did, how were my parents? What was the health of, of my parents? And we were also in, in a very paternal healthcare system. So I think those two things go together. Yeah. So you go to the doctor, I have a pain, you take this and you do this and, and off you go. And they, and, and they listen to the doctor, but now with, with the, with the trend towards personalized medicine comes the trend in personalized nutrition. It follows it. And so naturally what works for the one does not work for the other. Yeah. Your dad may have been drinking and smoking and, and still lived a long life, but that's not going to work for you. And so what we have now is the ability to test, to see how you respond or to see how you respond to specific dietary pattern or your lifestyle or how, you know, your very busy uh, work schedule is impacting the quality or, or your phenotype, let, let's say that way. And so I think, I think with personalized nutrition, we have, we have the bonus of being able to track ourselves and self-manage rather than waiting for something to happen to then be able to go to the doctor. And that is the key towards, you know, a better health span is to be able to see and, and, and nip it in the bud, so to speak, pick it up much earlier than, than what we would have done before we became symptomatic. And I think that's the key. That's where personalized nutrition comes in. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. You well, and one agree. final. <laughs> no, no, I'm uh, oh, not okay. at all. I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I think that uh, I definitely think that the uh, person's nutrition is a very important uh, role. And uh, I, I see in the literature that uh, um, your behavior uh, uh, might influence more than your genetics. In some instance, yeah. uh, the genetic. Uh, uh, cover only around 10% and the rest is the environmental and the behavior. And, and if you think about nutrition, um, we are making around 200 nutrition decisions a day. Absolutely. For exercise, we might make five, yeah. but for nutrition, when to eat, what to eat, how to eat, uh, 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 I, I smell it, I see it, I hear it, Absolutely. and so on. Um, so, so, so no, no doubt that, uh, in my opinion, nutrition is uh, yeah. uh, by far the most important, the most complex issue that we have. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so personal. <laughs> yeah, it is personal, yeah. My taste might be completely different than exactly. your taste. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. All right, one final question that we ask to all of our guests yeah. is, is there one decision that you make each day based on nutrition or health span or lifespan that you can share as a tip to our listeners? Yes. I do. And, and I think maybe lots of people do it. But in the morning when I wake up, I tend to think of, of two things. A, what, what, is, what is on the menu for today? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what am I going to eat today? So I, I already know in the morning what, what, what the diet is going to be like for the rest of the day. So I, I don't tend to go off it or, you know, yeah, I, I, I tend to stick to that. And, and I think in colors, okay, like, like what, what's for breakfast, you know, the, is, is the rainbow meal included? So I, I tend to think of that. The other thing I tend to think about is how can I work in physical activity into my day? 
because I've got meetings, I've got a podcast, I've got a this, I need to prepare a presentation, I need to read it. When am I going to get up and work that in? So sometimes it's in the morning. Sometimes it's a walk at the end of my day. Sometimes, like now, it's like, you know, while my kid is at, at, at music lesson, I can, I can quickly <laughs> hop into the gym. And so for me, I think for me, longevity is about planning. Yeah. You need to know where you are going. You need to think ahead. You can't think today, I'm going to just do it for today because I read an article about longevity, you know, and so I'm going to do it today. You think you need to think long term about how you can do this every day. And I think setting yourself up in the day to think longer term about your health. I'm at the moment disease free, symptom free, thank goodness. But that's how you got to think. You need to start with a plan. And if you plan, you are less likely to fail because you know what is expected, what you expect of yourself in order to have a long and healthy life. I think that's incredibly important, having intention behind your decisions instead of just letting your health happen to you. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like self-help books, right? Everybody buys them and then they sit on your shelf. And it's like, (laughs) I was going to do that. I was going to implement it. No, you need to wake up and think, what's... What, my food has a big impact. What am I eating today? And then how manage your stress or whatever, but also think about how you're going to work in your physical activity for the day. And that's going to set you up for a long and healthy life, whatever awesome. might come your way. A great thought to end on. Uh, thank you so, so much for being here, Dr. Abrahams. Incredibly enjoyable and invig- invigorating. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was a, a great discussion. Greatly Thank appreciate it. Thank you, Joel. That was that was great. And I hope to see you. See you soon. And we look forward to exploring the research in the field of longevity each month with you and the leading scientist. For more information, please go to www.insidetracker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to Longevity by Design. Please subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Longevity by Design is powered by Inside Tracker, a personalized health optimization platform that helps people improve their lives by improving their bodies from the inside out using personalized, science-backed recommendations for nutrition, supplements, and lifestyle changes. To learn more, visit insidetracker.com slash podcast.